Okay, so earlier this week, I interviewed Dawn White Fostick. She is CEO of CAM, Christian Assistance Ministries. And you know, if you follow me online on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, that, and now Telegram, um, you know that I am a big advocate for what this organization does. And the number one reason I am a huge advocate is not only do they help the people that need to be helped immediately in crisis, there is no delay, there is no bureaucracy, bureaucracy and hardly any paperwork is that they are privately funded. If you decide that you are going to help CAM financially, it goes from your pocket to their pocket and nobody else's pocket. And that's the greatest thing that I love about CAM. They do it correctly. So they don't rely on the state. Um, that's a little plug for Patrick. So earlier this week I interviewed her. We spent an hour talking about um, in, in the beginning, we started talking about just just basically the population of the homeless in San Antonio. And the homeless can range um, from many different levels and many different stresses and many different levels of crisis. And then we went into the added now pressure of the illegal, and she doesn't like for me to say that, illegal immigration of people that are crossing the border illegally and then staying here on asylum, which is just another way to say amnesty. So she and her, not she, but her facility, her organization is feeling the brunt of this. And it is, it's, um, I can, I can say, I can say a better word that everybody understands how Brandy Joe speaks. And it is severely frustrating to know that these people were dumps on our doorstep. And obviously we weren't paying enough attention to know that it was about to happen. And we weren't part of the process. We being the constituents in the area and understanding what the processes are, what is expected of us since we are giving away our resources, our assets, and our services to help these people that really shouldn't be here. And we all know that. So what I'd like for you to do is to click down. Um, well, hold on a second. So this is actually going to be um, the intro to the podcast as well on the podcast. I'm not putting the podcast here on YouTube. I would like to... I would like to have you uh, scroll down into the into the description and click on the podcast, uh, the link to the podcast, and it'll take you directly to Don's interview uh, that we did. So um, people want to know what they can do. People want to know what we are doing, and as as a group of we that I now consider myself a conservative activist. Um, and I, I, I venture to gather that I'm an activist for the Constitution. I wouldn't really think that you would need to be an activist for um, the laws that were set up uh, for this great country. So um, I think a petition needs to be done. I think we need to get all of the players together, all of the leadership uh, within the conservative. Um, here comes Indy. With, within the... Um, the conservative and Republican and liberty movements, and that, that includes a lot of people. Um, and I'm making a list, and if you've heard me speak of the list and, you're, and you think that you're on the list, um, 
you're in very good company. So with all of that being said, just, just wanted to intro this, wanted to keep it under five minutes. I'm at four, four minutes and 10 seconds now. But um, I just want you to know that, that there is a group of people that are working and not behind the scenes. I am trying to put this out there. I don't care. Here's the thing. I don't care who gets the credit for any of this. I just want it to be, I want it to be managed and I, I want it to be managed properly. I want it to be common sense. I want these people to be taken care of. I want us to be taken care of. Um, the biggest issue that we have right now is that there's no transparency. No one is paying attention and all we want to do is piss and moan. Well, we're, we're going to take some action and we're going to do it um, diplomatically, conservatively, professionally, um, and we're going to communicate. We're going to communicate on a level that is civil and we are, we are all going to come up with solutions and we're not going to compromise on our values. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please click below. Listen to what Don has to say because you'll learn a lot. Thanks. Okay. This will just hang. There you go. Okay. Um, yeah, so when I'm doing some trainings for um, um, sales, the um, we use WebEx or GoToMeeting, one of those. Uh-huh. And um, you, can, you can totally, you can see who's watching you and then you can go back and you can look at the analytics of the participation oh so is this person listening to you right now well let me turn off my computer it's okay and you can like go and see and and look and no they're not right and i i the reason i'm so critical of it is because i am often very i'm not good on big meeting ones where we're supposed to just being hearing general stuff yeah if I'm on a meeting where, um, with four or five people and we're resolving a problem, I can be with you, and I'm good. In those cases, it's good. But just some meeting where there's 20 people on it, no. Yeah, it's not going to work. I'm texting. I'm yeah, it's not going to work. There's nothing, there's nothing productive that comes right, out of that, right. ever. Now I have two questions to, or maybe one question to ask you yeah. what we're doing on this blog. So we talked about two different things this week. Yes. It started off with what's going on with the homeless, what are the numbers like? That was Thursday. <laughs> and so that we, was my breakfast with Clayton Perry. Yes. And I want, I did want to clear some of that Please. up. Um, so I don't know, do we want to talk about both of the things? Well, or do we want to separate it? Or well, do you want me to just privately tell you the Clayton and Perry thing and then we can? Yeah, well, I mean, we can do that again. So, so first of all, just talking about analytics and participation and people paying attention, they're only going to pay attention for about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. On this. Yeah. Um, but the entire transcript will be put on the website. Okay. So we can talk about anything. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do want to clarify. Um, and, and Clayton had uh, a family emergency, so he couldn't run for county commissioner precinct three on oh. Thursday night. <laughs> uh, bless his heart. He had to go, and uh, one of his family members is in hospice, and it's very soon that um, 
that uncle could graduate. We call oh, it graduate uh -huh. in my family. And um, I asked him about outreach on Thursday morning. Uh -huh. And if we needed to hire more outreach people. And does that come from a city level or does that come from CAM or does that come from a coalition of people? You know, I'm big into nonprofit, mm -hmm. privately funded, not taxpayer mm -hmm. dollars going. Right. Like our, our current outreach has nothing to do with city, yeah. county, or national government. Right. Um, so, talking about when I said everybody has their own set of facts. Right. And they don't. No. Facts are facts. The truth is the truth. The numbers are the numbers. So you're saying that, you're, that the numbers of homeless and that categorization of homeless is a breadth of different types of homelessness. It is. Just like there are different types of conservatives and Republicans. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and that can get confusing for a politician. I totally get it. I mean, I do feel sorry for our public people because they're having to remember issues that are huge. I mean, there's a million of them, and you're supposed to keep up with all of these different things. So I, I always want to make sure that I'm not criticizing anybody. Even the city staff, I feel sorry for them. Right. And, it's just, and you didn't I, criticize, you clarified. Yeah, yeah. Right? I did. Um, so it's really easy to think that the homeless are just the people that are staying at Haven and on the streets and um, maybe at the Sam shelter, and that might add up to two or 3,000 people at any given right. time. But what a community has to realize, it's kind of like the jail saying they have 4,000 people, but at the end of the year, they serve 15 or 20,000 because people are going in and out of homelessness just like they're going in and out of the jail. Mm -hmm. It's not just a stagnant number of 800 or 1,000 that are at Haven. Probably by the end of the year, they end up serving four or 5,000. Because they're serving those people multiple times. Right. Yeah. And they're going in and out. Some are graduating. Some are falling off the, you know, off the wagon and going back to the street. So that's where the number of about 8,000 is more reasonable. And it's based on organizations serving those populations. So Got it's it. not just random. Um, all of us nonprofits, and I don't mean that they're all government funded at all. There's places like Endeavors. There's the GI Forum who serve veterans. There's um, the Center for Healthcare Services. That's the indigent and mental health care and drug and substance abuse program. There's Corazon. There's CAM. There's the Strong Foundation, Sam Ministry, Salvation Army, uh, Centro downtown, all in some capacity serving homeless populations whether they're in shelters, in detox centers, or on the street, or even couch surfing. A lot of our young people that are homeless aren't just on the street. I often say you don't see a bunch of, if I see a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old, I'm kind of like, hmm, what's going on there? Because usually young people will help each other, mm -hmm. or a family will help, That you know, an 18-year-old lives at home and he'll bring somebody home. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole bunch of those people too. Yeah. And so when we talk about a budget of $80 million, that sounds like a lot of money, but it's not just $80 million that the city's funding. It's right. $80 million of federal she funds, city funds, county funds, uh, state funds, federal funds, and community. You know, places like CAM and Corazon, even though it's... They're coming direct from people's checkbooks. Absolutely. Like Sam Ministries, 
I want to say most of their outreach workers are not funded by, you know, they're paying for them themselves. Now, they do have some federal and state money because they're a shelter, and so HUD and places like that are funding that, or housing money that comes from SARA, the South Alamo Regional Alliance for the Homeless, that gets the, the federal dollars that focus on getting people housed. And so most of those organizations in our, in our community are multi-layer funding, you know, SAM, Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, they're another one that does a whole bunch of homeless prevention, that counts in that. Um, so anyway, we're all, we all have a bucket of money, and yes, if you added all that up, there's an investment of about $80 million, but if you divide that by 8,000 people, um, or even 10,000 people, when you right. also start counting. It's eight to $10,000 dollars per a person. year per person for multiple services along yes. the way. Yes, and you have to hope that, um, that that's better than paying 35000 to keep them in jail, which often does occur. That's yeah. why we all advocate that we don't think that the justice system and the legal system and arrest system is the best way to manage the homeless. Right. That doesn't mean, though, and I'm a huge advocate for this, and I've said this all along, and in fact, we're working with the police on it, that if somebody is continuously having outrageous behavior that is a risk to the neighborhood, the city, and themselves, then of course the justice system has to get involved. Mm -hmm. And really the mental health system has to get involved. And that, that you bring up mental health, we've talked about that there is a missing piece between street, homelessness, unsheltered, whatever you want to call it, yes. and the justice system. Yes. Something happened along the way to where we missed, we, we lost a piece in the process to get these people healthy and productive. The problem is the police are frustrated and the district attorney's office are frustrated. They both are. And the reason is that there, there's no easy solution. If they arrest them, and then send them to the jail system, then the jail system becomes the mental health system, which they do have a mental health component at the jail. Mm. It's just that it's not that good. No criticism to the jail. We That's not what not they're that good. meant to do. We know they're it's not, not that good. They're supposed to be helping people with mental health issues. You're, you're talking to somebody yes. that thinks anything to do with government is not that good. So it's struggling. <laughs> and then they don't have enough mental health. The, so then, so then you're, you almost have the people who care the most and want to do the most about it, which is the DA's office, which is judges, which is the police, sometimes struggling with each other because you kind of want the other person to do it. The police are, and I'm pointing fingers, so right. I guess people can't hear me say no. that on the radio, <laughs> but the police, you know, want, their job is to just do law enforcement, and yeah. all of a sudden they're social workers. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're making them be that. Mm -hmm. I mean, at my organization, that's why we have the special pilot program where we were, are working with the SAPD. They call us about what we call frequent flyers, meaning people that are causing a nuisance for the downtown area. And that's where we're working right now. I think this model could work in other areas. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll get called out to other neighborhoods with the police and safe officers but people who are causing problems in that area due to their mental health issue. And so those kinds of programs do work. It is helpful. And we start working the system, meaning we have to get them detained by the police so many times, emergency detained, which gets them listed as having a mental health issue. Um, 
working with the DA's office on it to go ahead and prosecute their case so that we can get them in the system. And those things do work, but on a global scale, they're just very t cost and timely and, mm -hmm. and difficult. Mm -hmm. And so we don't even have the beds to, to put someone in a mental health facility. We don't even have the detox beds. Right. So it's, uh, in some ways it's a government problem in the sense that as American citizens, we should want our tax dollars to be spent on things that are effective. We, we should want more mental health beds. We, you know, right. that's, that's the issue. We don't right. have enough. We, we should take these people from where they are, and we should try to make them happy and healthy and productive. Yes, and, and, it's, um, and that may mean long-term health. These mm -hmm. may be people, just like you wouldn't expect someone with Down syndrome to, and I don't want to... It's all right. Didn't know right. anybody who has Down Most of the audience is not going <laughs> to cancel you. Okay. Well, you know, we don't expect somebody with severe autism or right. severe Down syndrome to be able to always pay their own bills and do everything. But we figure out a way for them to have a beautiful life. Mm -hmm. And that might mean that they have a social worker or a special trainer. Well, some of our people that are on the streets, many of the ones that are causing everyone to have the most consternation because it's worrisome. They either feel sorry for them or they feel upset or they feel both. Yeah. Um, they, they need long-term help. The solution may not be that they're just going to get, you know, detoxed and be wonderful. Now that's one solution. Somebody could do that. Go through detox, go through drug treatment, and we have a hallelujah transformation. Mm -hmm. We've got a client like that right now named Tomas, who we all love, who just got his nine-month chip. Um, Sweet. And he's doing great. He signed up for another year-long program. So he recognizes that just detox and AA is not enough, that he needs to stay in a program to be successful um, so that he can have long-term transformation. Mm -hmm. But yes, he's got a job, and that I don't think he has mental health issues. Yeah. Now, he's got... Um, dependency issues. He has dependency issues and he has the kind of mental health issues that many people have and that is probably depression and trauma due mm -hmm. to early childhood and his life. I right. mean that's what got him to drugs. Yeah. But um, can he have significant success? Absolutely. I, he's smart. I don't think he has any obstacles where he can't function. Mm -hmm. But there's probably you know half to three quarters that will need ongoing something that's called um, permanent supportive housing. Or maybe they do get a job, but they still have um, a caseworker that guides them through paying bills, through saving, taking care of their apartment. Um, and they may need long-term help. Yeah. And that costs a lot of money, and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry it does. Everything costs money. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I ask you, one of the first serious conversations that we had, sitting there with Deb, I said, what's the answer? And you had a, you, you had a response that surprised me that it's not more money, per se. It's being organized and being strategic with that money. Yes, I do agree with that. I often call the homeless issue an issue that we have to manage. Mm -hmm. So quit doing those stupid sound bites we're getting rid of poverty. We're getting rid of homelessness. Okay, I just got through telling you that there's a huge population that are sick and will be that way the rest of their life. You're not yeah. getting rid of it. Yeah. Um, but yes, the money we do get 
we have to work hard to be strategic. I think what, and, and this is what I want people to know here in San Antonio. I visit all different places. I've gone all over Texas. We've seen the nation, national news. San Antonio is far better than most places. I mean, anybody who's driven down to Austin can know that. Mm -hmm. And um, I've worked in the nonprofit world for a long time and with friends and colleagues who've worked in Austin. I mean, once again, I hate to criticize Austin or sound ugly. Well, it's bad. I don't think they've done a really good job. Whereas here, you do have the police, the DA's office, the city staff, Department of Human Services, and the nonprofit community walking in step together. And um, I would say because of COVID, we even tightened that step. We are in step in a way we have never been before. So if you're worried about it, Joe Smith, city person uh, who lives in our community, you need to get in, don't start, you know, doing something on the side right because you may be interrupting what we're doing and that's the biggest issue and that was i think both of our frustrations over the weekend it's like now we have these immigrants that are coming in that's and, and when you mentioned in the text i don't even know if we were talking about the immigrant situ situation you actually mentioned that now you have immigrants coming to cam yes. for assistance yes using the showers because either they're waiting on court cases or whatever right. or they're just here right. the ones that that we talked to on saturday they were all waiting to go right but they didn't know how they were going and then yes. they tell them at the last minute okay you're going to get on this on this bus in 20 right. minutes so I've talked with these people throughout the weekend. But the biggest thing is that some of them that I'm in contact with, they're like, I don't want to go where they're telling me to go. I want to stay here. Yeah. So let's, I want to talk, there's a big picture issue with that. I'd like to start, start back a little bit on the story. So just like. Because, because that, that's where I want to go. I want to go back and have you tell everybody what the hell has been going on because this is not just something that just landed it, it in didn't our laps. Just pop up. And that is what I am pissed off about. Yes. So. Um, so. Because we don't pay attention. Yes. I, and, and what caused us to pay attention here at CAM was we started seeing on the news, um, you know, the mayor of Uvalde, maybe it was Uvalde. And I, ironically since all that terrible stuff has happened this was before that yeah and and border towns i don't even know what border towns are i'm not very good let's pretend like it's county, like counties on the border let's yeah. just say counties. counties on the border yes so that our news started reporting that our immigration plan for people that have been determined that they can seek asylum so this is our process They've either declared it at the border and said, I want to seek asylum, and our government and whoever, ICE and Border Patrol, has gotten whatever information about them, signed them up, and said, we're going to let you seek asylum. But used to, we would just let them go wherever, and there was a lot of criticism that, well, how do we know they'll ever come back for their court case? And when you asked me on the Facebook, the little snippet uh -huh. that I posted, what don't I get? That's what I don't get. Okay. How can they just wander along? They can't. So this is what, <laughs> so we did make one small improvement, but we don't have a system for it. The right. small improvement was, we said, no, you can't just walk across the border and say you want to seek asylum. You're going to have to stay in some kind of voluntary detention center or leave. So you're not really in jail, but you're being forced to stay mm -hmm. at a voluntary detention center along the border. Well, those communities couldn't take it anymore. They just basically said, 
we're going to start releasing those a little bit early who have court cases. So I'm just making this up. Let's say there's 100 people in one building and 10 have a court case on July 25th. So they're going to start releasing those 10 now. And they arbitrarily just said we're going to put them on a bus to San Antonio because we are the closest place to long-term transportation, meaning they do have to come here at some point to either get on a bus or get on an airplane. What I did learn is and know is that about 75 to 80% do have either a ticket or a family member or friend they're working with. They're all supposed to have a family member or a sponsor. That's part so, of the process. So one lady that I talked to, and I'm so in what you just said, I have to clarify because I'm, I'm not agreeing with what you said okay. in the in the in the process of that. Okay, so, we'll clarify. Um, but I'll have to go back and clarify. I'm just making a mental note on our video, well, ask me. on our recording okay. here. Okay. Um, the lady that wanted that needed to go to Knoxville. I texted her later and I said, is your destination Knoxville and is your court case in Knoxville? And she says, yes, they finally told me, you know, this is all WhatsApp translation. Right. She said, yes, they finally told me that I am going to Knoxville along with my two other family members and my court, my initial court case, court date is in August and then I have another court date in a year. So they're so the way that I'm putting and piecing all this together, because no one has said anything, this is how it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's a blueprint for success in this thing somewhere, right. but nobody's giving it to anybody. So Well, people like me, they are giving it to, but it's just that your average American doesn't want to hear all this stuff. But anyway, continue. It's, it's involved. I'm not criticizing your average Americans. We're used to sound bites. Yes. It's and that's why we're sitting here. Yeah. Because it's my, just, just how I said to Patty Gibbons over the weekend, it's my job to know. Yeah. And if I know, then I can share that knowledge right. with my group, circle, right. audience, followers, whatever. Right. I just, I don't, I, I don't like the headline biting, soundbite crap that makes people dumber. Well, let me finish a little bit, and yeah. then please tell me what you don't agree with, and maybe I'm not saying it right. That the no, 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 about no, no, and, and I'll go back and I'll look. I mean, this, this, this isn't okay. you. I, I need to go back and and research on my own. They are releasing them, but I don't think it's counties that are releasing oh, them. Oh no, right? Because last Tuesday, several of my contacts and several of my colleagues in this whatever it is battle. Right. war, invasion, whatever you want to call it, they're trying to set some sort of, they're just trying to set a boundary with what it is that the federal government is lacking yes. and putting so much pressure on local communities to actually take care of. Yeah, so that is what I want to tell you. Right. I agree. So when, when I said to you, this was back in March, maybe even February, I was, nobody cared about this story, only someone like me who knows I'm going to feel the brunt of it yeah. when I see some mayor of some small town says he's putting them on the bus here. So, you know, I don't know how, what control he had, if he went to ICE or the Border Patrol and they and said we can't take it anymore and they agreed to it. But yes, it is a federal problem. 
they are the ones who are supposed to be designing this. It's the federal response, it's federal's responsibility and they have created the problem. Correct. Okay. So we all agree with that here. All right. Even all your liberal people, even your little nonprofit, even your city staff that you, that, you know, may be working in this, we all agree. Okay. So we were like, I mean, can I use a cuss word on this? Absolutely. So we were like shitting bricks. <laughs> Over here, me and Diane, our little cam, Christian Assistance <laughs> Ministry, shaking in our boots. Not because we don't, you know, we're here to serve and love people. And I'll tell you, the migrants who have come through are fabulous. And oh. They are not, they are the ones you want to come in your country. They want to work hard. They're, I mean, Diane and I, they all have all their paperwork. Most of our other clients don't, they're not suffering from a Absolutely. And, that, and that's what I experienced on Saturday. Yes. And so we're like saying, okay, but we don't have the bandwidth for this. And then we began, we meaning not just me, other of us in the nonprofit right. world. You're a coalition. Yeah, well, Corazon, another little church ministry, you know, that's tiny, has 90-year-old volunteers. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're doing fabulous work, but right. we're not talking about monstrous money yeah. or anything. Um, we started asking questions. Corazon's been heavily involved in the migrant issue, meaning that they've let people lay in cots in the church and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's at Travis Park, and it's across from it. And so, you know, anyway. We started asking what's going on. Our city staff were in agreement with all of you said, and they were very hesitant to decentralize this or, or centralize mm -hmm. it because what they felt was that the federal government would just let them do that. And then pretty soon, we'd be, everybody would be being sent here. So there was an effort for a while in the first couple of months when we didn't have a lot. Now, time that stamp that for me. First couple of months. So probably March, April, and May. Okay. Where I, would, I was hearing the news, and then occasionally we'd pop into CAM and there'd be 25 migrants here, and we'd be like, how'd they get here? What's going on? It was, you know, and is this going to be an ongoing thing? Like, we can handle 25 once a week or every two weeks, but if it becomes daily, so, it, so we were scared, and the city staff, and I'm going to put words in their mouth, they would probably hate it when I would say they were scared, but concerned. Yeah. Like, our municipality can't handle it. And if we come up with a plan, then the federal government will be, yippee! And we're going to send everybody to San Antonio, and we'll just let them take care oh, of it. Oh, I see your point. So the city purposely, and I use the city loosely. It's, yes. It's a whole bunch of people. Right. But they made a decision to slow down and try not to be a resolution for all of this, to let the federal government come up with a resolution. Now, this, now when you say city, uh -huh. can you give me some little Well, the um, staff that- Pockets, the mayor's staff, office? He's health I'm, I'm, health he, and human services? It's the Department of Health and okay. Human Services that has to manage. All of a sudden, okay. then the shelters and homeless care and child care that they manage for our city already is starting to be burdened by this situation. All of a sudden, immigrants are showing up at Haven for Hope. Well, we don't have any room at Haven. And that's, <laughs> they just don't show up at Haven for Hope. <laughs> right. There's a lot going on over it's there. It's like checking into the Marriott. Yeah. And, um, and then little nonprofits are starting to do pay for hotels, and there there is an mm -hmm. um, interfaith coalition that mm -hmm. does this kind of work, and they meet regularly. And 
So the city was kind of letting them do this and then trying to provide a little support to us. I remember Department of Human Services said if I found myself needing to hire like an extra staff person just to handle it that I could seek reimbursement for that from the federal government. They would help me. But I couldn't see any routine to it to even do that. Right. It wasn't like I had, if I had, if I knew I was going to have 25 immigrants every day, then maybe I'd hire a part-time person and open up an afternoon shower. But I wasn't having that. It was very inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Then in July, end of June and July, it started to get consistent. And my staff were really struggling with 50 to 60 people a day and, you know, two-hour lines outside of our door because we didn't have a centralized place for any of these people to go. And we're just a few blocks from Travis Park. And, you know, other nice people would tell them to all come down here. They'd get off the bus and some, <laughs> I don't know, random person like you, Brandy Joe, would say, go on down to camp. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, oh yeah. my gosh, we're I was there. very careful not to do that when I was talking to them on Saturday. Because I, when I asked the lady if I could see your packet, I wanted to see what resources or what listings that they gave them. And they just gave them the city of San Antonio, basically. Health and Human Services. Yes. So I did talk to somebody today. So we just found out that they opened this place on Thursday. And so the city gets a lot of criticism. Even my staff does that. Mm -hmm. Government always gets criticism. I don't know. I could never work well, for that's a, what they're there a for. government entity. They're there to be I'd criticized. Be Absolutely. Um, but anyway... Like my staff member, Diane, we had like 60 people here, and then we heard that place was open up, and we're just confused. Yeah. And what I said was, well, you have to understand, I am sure that the city staff were so focused on finding a property, coming up with the transportation piece, setting it up, that the next layer of pieces, communicating with us, creating the nonprofits to go over there, it's hard to do all of that at one time. It's like building the ship while you're drowning. Um, <laughs> or while you're trying to set sail. <laughs> right, you're trying to set sail. So I'm a little forgiving that they just got the stinking place open. Okay. Yeah. Now, people like the Interfaith Coalition, now places like Travis Park and Catholic Charities has agreed to manage some of these federal dollars, will start going down there and setting up shop. And what I have and we'll, they'll probably start keeping clothes there and sorting those things. But I mean, all of that is a beast. You can't imagine what it takes us just to sort. Mm -hmm. You can't just donate clothes. It's, you know, it just no. becomes a pile of junk. Yes. Um, so it's a lot of I work. Mean, it's, it's like, I mean, this is it's a, like building a this, city. This is a crisis. This it, is like the Blanco flooding, Katrina. It, yes. So I was, I wasn't involved with Katrina, but I went to some of the shelters. I was majorly, Family Service Association ran intake for Katrina, and I worked down there every day. I had my 12-year-old son manning the men's showers, and he would be standing on a pile of mm -hmm. clothes that was like 10 feet tall. I was down somewhere, I think like Lackland, I don't know where I was. The, an old Air Force base yes. was opened up for it. Yes. And my job was to just go around and see if everybody was... There were 25,000 people down yes. there. It was there was a thousand people where I was. Yes. And I was just to go around and just survey them and ask them questions. Right. And and everybody was confused. Yeah. And they didn't know where their families there were. There was one. There was one lady that was working that she just she was. I mean, she was like the director of this particular facility, uh -huh. and I don't. I think she was a complete volunteer, and she just she blew out one day and left. 
Well, there were a lot of volunteers. Yeah. It was really crazy. I happened to work for a nonprofit that could staff it. But this immigrant issue, border crisis, invasion, this is what is a current crisis. And Correct. you can see it bubbling. Yeah. Right here, because we're right here. So we're saying, as a community, like we, I remember in your video you said that we do want these people to be successful. Just to give you another example, um, my other location of CAM is at um, Days of All on Vance Jackson. And along Vance Jackson are legal immigrants from refugee camps from all over the world. They're from Iran, Iraq, Syria. That was, and, that was another conversation and, that I had with them this lead, weekend. They asked me. They said, where do the Chinese and the Syrians and somebody else go? I was like, so, I don't know. So that particular program is part of a world lottery. And the world lottery, you, you win a world lottery and get to go to a, a country. Germany, Canada, America. And those are immigrants that aren't crossing our border, but they're actually vetted and through a major process. Um, and then they come to live in the United States. And that particular location um, at CAM sees a lot of those families. And Catholic Charities is the main nonprofit in town that manages them. They do manage them for like a year, meaning they're helping them get jobs or kids enrolled in school, apartments and housing. But a year, it takes something like four to five years for someone to get stable. Yeah. Um, but... At what, when you said we want them to be successful, I always say to my little old ladies that are often Caucasian that volunteer down there who aren't used to people from Iran or Iraq, and we've been at war with them for a long time, yes. I can understand them being a little concerned, that we don't want these children of, the, of these families to grow up resenting us. I want them to walk into Christian assistance ministry and get the food and clothing they need so they can be successful. Because I want their spirit to be filled with the United States as a loving and kind country and people are going to treat me kindly. And I benefit from that when their kids go to school and graduate from high school and get jobs and do well. Yeah. Um, we know that lots of migrant families are hardworking, do fabulous jobs. And um, Well, I got, I got a text this morning from one of my favorite people, and he says, I, I saw what you were doing and actually, you know, talking to them about helping them instead of hating on them. Right. Because I don't want to raise little terrorists. It's a good word. And I don't. So my goal, and so no matter how you feel about the issue, and I 100% agree, we don't have a good system. You know, we, we agreed to hold these migrants and, and say, okay, this is a population we think could make it and may have a right to seek asylum here. Mm -hmm. We've decided that we're going to let them stay there. Then we needed to come up with a downstream plan. How are they going to get to these court cases and locations? Um, I spoke with someone at the city this morning, and she said that about 70% or 75% do have family and things like that. But there is about 25% that are struggling. And um, what she said is that the goal is to try to get them to utilize what they have, help communicate with them, get them connected to their family and friends, 
Um, there is transportation to the airports. There are actually even volunteers who work as ambassadors who kind of like walk with them. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I've been at the airport. I asked, I asked my people, yeah. I guess I can call them that, I asked my migrant people if they did have a contact, an ambassador, somebody that they have direct contact to, and they said no. And then at the very end of the day yesterday on Sunday, they were like, all of a sudden, this, this woman shows up and tells me everything that I've wanted to know for the last two days. Well. So they're scared for two days. That, that could be. I mean, what I would, my observation in working at CAM, I just said this to a volunteer, I've been here for 12 years, that it's not that I'm jaded, but most of the time there is a solution and something being offered, and the folks who need to receive it and use it struggle to do it, don't want to do what they're being made to do, and may try to skirt the system, mm -hmm. even if they're nice people. Right. They're not bad people. Right. So that's a lot of stuff that occurs. And so um, the idea, ideally, is that you would get here and immediately be taken to that service center. Mm -hmm. And you need to stay there, even if you don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you can't go outside right. for a walk. Or so the little lady that's going to Knoxville, right. when, I, when I talked to them, what, it was probably between noon and, noon and 1.30, at 4 o'clock, there was a group of them that they went to a hotel. And she says, in three days, I go to Knoxville on a bus. And that could occur. Well, it, it did. Yeah. But what I found out this morning, actually, and, you know, my people, my audience, they think that all of that is taxpayer funded. And what I found out was those three days in a hotel for this lady that's going to Knoxville is paid for by some private charity. It is. So a large portion of the local that's, that's coalition. That's why I don't like the videos. And I got on somebody on, on my Telegram channel. You know, if you're wanting to, to advance conservative values, whatever the hell that means, don't post videos of them just standing there and you deriding them or berating them or whatever. Right. Talk to these people. So most of the dollars Find are being stories. leveraged. Yes. I mean, in most cases, even the federal dollars, no one can get access to for a long time. So mm -hmm. we cover it. So Meaning now, I have cash flow. Exactly. So, so I'll have to cover it for six months and maybe get a reimbursement. And so the, did I send you the executive summary that Perry's office sent me? I'll send that to you. So when I asked him, I said, okay, Migrant, migrant Resource Center. And he, and he might have been mistaken. I don't know. I still haven't found out. He's dealing with some family issues. Right. He said, I voted no on that. I said, when was there a vote? He says, there was a vote two years ago to have that facility be placed within this FEMA reimbursement program mm -hmm. or whatever. So... I think it's I think his chief of staff is Paul. He emailed me the executive summary that Lori, the assistant city uh -huh, manager, I know her well. I mean, and, with her every other Friday. <laughs> there you go. That Lori and someone else presented to city council back in June, uh -huh. and it's just an executive summary of this is where the dollars are coming from, mm -hmm. but they're not here. And so, to your point, you have to float. Mm -hmm. A million dollars for mm -hmm. six months. Mm -hmm. The city of San Antonio have to float that resource mm -hmm. center mm -hmm. for however long until they can get these leftover FEMA COVID dollars. 
is now what the, the executive the, summary says. They may be able to get it much sooner. But yes, all of the bureaucracy involved, that's why I work for an agency that doesn't take government money. Because, because it's you just don't easier. have bullshit to deal with. Right, I just do my own thing. Yeah. You know, I just pay for whatever I want. But I have, I'm, I'm in a quandary. I'm having a meeting with my um, board tomorrow because we're under such stress and we're, one of, we're an agency that is being relied upon and we're doing a good job that I think to myself, well, maybe I need to take some of this ARPA money. Don't like, do it. What am I doing? Don't you do know? it. It's just going to go down the drain and... Um, Don't do it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm taking some of it from Bear County. Although they awarded it to us, you know, back in November, December, and we haven't heard hide nor hair of that. Okay. That was COVID money. Okay. $100,000, which I would like to have. And I could because, because that and I've can, already spent it. Because that can basically be a I donation. Can, yeah. Because during COVID, you did so much. Yeah. And, and well, during that's the, why I was awarded the money, but they can't the, seem the to. The snowvidpocalypse. Yes. But they can't seem to figure out a way to give it to us. It was like $23 million they're just sitting on right now. Mm. Not just to us, to a whole bunch of agencies. They, right. they all let us put the RFP out. Yeah. And we all got like a letter saying we've been warned. And now they're, they say they can't figure out how to give it to us to make sure we'll do it right. I'm just saying it in a short term. I'm sure there's some technical But words. it's frustrating as hell. But yes. So... Um, Yes, yeah, so I do want folks to hear that a majority of the work being done around this migrant situation is being done by volunteers and average Americans. And we are, it is a public-private partnership. And that is the city and the churches and the individuals and the nonprofits. But everything and, but, is private and public. It is. Everything. But the federal government has just left us hanging. So mm -hmm. I would agree with that. You yeah. know, if, gov if Governor, when somebody asked me about this, being that I'm more um, Democrat. liberal or Democrat. You don't, you don't need to say the L word. <laughs> yeah, all right. I don't We're, put you in the liberal category. Okay, that's true. And, and I grew up a Republican. So I yeah. have a very strong understanding of both sides. And I really try to work hard to be fiscally responsible with how we serve. I think social services We cannot resolve every issue. Mm -hmm. I'm not ignorant. Right. Okay, so I don't say things like we're solving poverty or homelessness. Yeah. We're just not. That's it's, ridiculous. It's part of the deal. It is. We're not solved. We haven't cured cancer either. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, I forgot what I was going with there, the public-private partnership. Better, Governor Abbott. Oh, Governor Abbott went, even though, you know, he drives me to the insane asylum. He drives us insane, okay. too. I was not mad. Somebody asked me this, that he said he was going to pick up people and bust them down to Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. I was not mad about that because what went through my mind was, yes, our legislature is supposed to make real decisions. And on both sides, they refuse to because they, they're too scared to to buck the system and join together. And so if it takes our state busing the people there, then fine and dandy. Um, because yes, we do have a border crisis. And I don't, I don't go along with the idea of uh, the border crisis vilifying the people. Right. That makes me upset yes. when we do that. It does me too. Um, but I do understand 
that we cannot take every single person that wants to come in the United States and that we have to create a system that will work and the system has to go downstream. It's not just at the border. Right. It's all the steps that take it's after that. It's the ripple yes. that the border crisis is causing. Yes. And we're in like the... We're, we're like the third wave. So yeah. I, and we let ICE and Border Patrol law enforcement agencies basically be in control. They're not the ones to solve the problem. They're the, the, the judgment part, the punitive part. You don't let those people be the ones in charge. That's their job, yeah. to be punitive. That's yeah. not who you have in charge of the plan. Right. I okay. totally, totally 100% agree with that. So. Okay. So there is, there is just dealing with what is happening up here we are downrange as they say yeah we're we're in the middle of the disease yes i, I use everything as a medical term <laughs> you've got to treat the disease and be researching how to prevent it from being a disease yes so you can't stop the treatment okay to cure the problem so let let's talk about r d should we close the border i don't think we should close the border I just feel like, we, you know, I don't understand why we're sending people all over the nation to go to trial. Why, aren't, why isn't the federal government setting up federal courts via Zoom right there and resolving it in, in two weeks? I mean, that's the first thing, you know, send a hundred judges down here mm -hmm. and invest in that. Now, long term, what I would say, you said something I really liked in your video. Why are we, and, I, and someone might get mad at me about this, but to me, you know, when you live in Europe, Africa is your problem. It's right below you. Yeah. And that's where you're getting a lot of your migrants from, and you have that problem. It, you live in the United States, South Central America. The Americas are our problem. The Americas are suffering financially and with corruption. We need to be spending every dollar we can to make those viable countries. Let's invest all of our money in making those viable countries so that they're on our border and we love doing business with them and they're not allowed to have the cartel. I mean, let's invest there. I mean, as much money as we spend on the Middle East, and I know they have gas. You're, ta you're talking about my intro into the video. Yes. Yeah. That that's our down, that's our yeah. upriver or whatever problem <laughs> is that we have the entire half of the Americas is a yeah. third world country. Yeah. Starting from Mexico all the way down to Brazil. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. But so those when you talk about battling somebody, right. yeah, we should be in a but those war country, with the cartel. But, but, here, but here's the thing, from Monterey to the border, it's cartel controlled. Mm -hmm. One lady paid $3,200 in three different places along the train ride and the walking to just random people with big guns that says, right. that, that said to her, in order for you to get past me, you've got to give me some money. Right. So she just peels it off and, and they get to go. Mm -hmm. And then the last deposit or the last payment was before she stepped her foot in the river and walked across. Right. Now from... I think it's Guatemala to Mexico. Guatemala is um, stealing, pillaging, raping mm -hmm. as well. But from the border at Guatemala to Monterey, it's like it's 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 just going to Mexico. Right. It's just a normal everyday 
I don't know, free society, if you can say that, well, but, and, and but there's, there's lots, no fear there. Yes, there's lots of places in Mexico that are really fine. I mean, Mexico right. is maybe three quarters there. If we could get Mexico to be 100% right. a stable country, it and would the, help us all. And then you have the Venezuelans that they have, there's, there are no jobs. Right, and it's a, it's a vicious oppressive country right now. But no one knows that because yeah. we're too busy watching January 6th in prime time right. television. Right. So I we mean, need, our it, elected it, officials are worthless when it comes to what really matters right. to the, us. The, the Americas are a huge problem. And I don't mean the United States of America. Right. I mean the American yeah. countries. Latin America, Central America, and South America. Except mm -hmm. for Colombia. Yeah. Colombia is... My favorite. <laughs> Claudia's from, Claudia's Colombian. She's well, actually from still, Louisville, but, but it's even totally Even when I different. say they're problematic, yeah, there's right. lovely people from all of these countries. Yeah. But there's countries down there that they are, they are normal, everyday, yes. capitalists. Yes. I don't know I everything, mean, but one that goes through my mind might be like Argentina. I don't hear too many people trying to... Flee Argentina. Argentina. <laughs> and I've had friends go on vacation there. Um, and like I yeah. said, a lot, as much as we acted like Mexico is scary, most of Amer Mexico is not. It really yeah. is our border towns. Mm -hmm. But I had some friends who just went to Mexico City and they just said it was incredible. Yeah. Just wonderful and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah, that's the, those are the bigger issue problems. Right. But well, I'm glad to hear that you are beyond the border and that it is, I, I hate to use that word ideology, but it is. I mean, it, it's a political ideology that is just immoral, wrong, that they are not allowing these people to have a life. And they're taking from the people who could very well sustain them in their power, but they're just, they're just robbing them of a right. life. Right. Um, and one of, one of I call one of my crew, I guess, just one of my group of people that I rely on for, you know, sounding board or, mm -hmm. or his insight. We we talk about how America was set up in the first place. We go back to how this country was founded and how it's a constitutional republic, and how that, if if you keep that intact, and you make people understand how. How's not just sustainable, but how wonderful that is for everyone involved, no matter where side of the aisle or up to the right, down to the left, wherever you fall, that that will keep us all safe mm -hmm. and prosperous. Yeah. And so when we invade Iraq or we pillage Afghanistan, and nobody wants to talk about nation building, but everybody wants to talk about democracy. We don't even have a democracy where we are. We're a constitutional republic, and that is how it is set up to make the most of everyone's life. And then you have a country like Venezuela that is just run over with communism and socialism. Right. And that's the and evil. And corruption. But that is, that corruption is the basis of socialism and communism. I mean, we have corruption here, but... Well, I think that that's our biggest problem, is we've allowed corruption to um, bastardize capitalism. Keep going. And... Um, cronyism. 
cronyism? Cronyism. That, so, so for like example, old cronies kind of? Cron yeah, so, so cronyism is, okay, I've got a guy who can do this for, for you. Yes, and... And at, and, the, and at the federal and elected level, you don't want that. You, right. want, you want open contracts, yes. free contracts yes. between free people. Yes. And that um, our politicians are so ruled by that money, mm -hmm. that capitalism, that even if they had in their heart desires to do something better, it's just almost impossible for them there's so many, if you do this, you do that. If you do this, I'll do that to you. Right. Going on that they, they can barely, you know, think straight. Mm -hmm. I often do say. That's why I say don't take the money. I often, <laughs> yes, I do say here I try to focus locally because I do feel like we have better traction with our local officials. Um, you know, they're, they're less able to get any kind of big money and mm -hmm. be bribed and they're, and they're often in office for a short period of time and that we can resolve things locally and that we have a community that's demonstrated for a long time that it could be a military city and a Hispanic city and a Democrat and Republican and people could work together and achieve success because it's very personal. We all really get to know each other. It's not these big sound bites. It's day-to-day well, -day working together. And right. we don't have some big um, business here to even bribe anybody. Yeah. We don't have an Exxon or a, you know, the, like Dallas or Houston. And that is why we work better yeah. together. There's yeah. no money to be gotten. Okay. <laughs> I guess we have, we have USAA and all of us are, <laughs> you know, begging them for a little bit of that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I completely see your point. But the 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 um, at the at that level of take take for instance John Cornyn. John Cornyn was booed almost off the stage at state convention. Now you, now I have to explain to people that didn't attend convention or that are more moderate Republicans that when you go to convention you have a precinct chair, people that are involved in the GOP of Bear County, state convention, SREC, whatever, these are the these are not the right of the right in the ultra right wingers. These are the most conservative people. And they don't want to compromise. And I am to the point where I am not compromising anymore. That John Cornyn led the way to compromise with Democrats on gun laws. Mm -hmm. And he gets almost booed off stage, but the look on his face, it, it, it made me realize that he didn't, he wasn't, he was not prepared for that. He was not prepared, prepared for his own people, in quotation marks, to not be happy with him. And that compromise has to stop somewhere. And I think if more of us, just like in the text messages that we had over the weekend, it's not red versus blue or you versus them. It's us versus them. They are taking their elected positions and they are turning it into some power through corruption and money. That's true. Now, what I would say about John Cornyn is I viewed him as extremely conservative. I've often been very frustrated with him. But I have always viewed him as someone of good character and trying to work hard in his job. I have not viewed him as like, who's the guy that drives us all crazy? Not, he might not drive you crazy. 
why can't I remember his name? Our most notorious congressman, no, our represent, our senator from Texas. Ted Cruz? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. I guess I blocked him out of my mind. You have, you have. Um, so yeah, of course, I, I view the, of, I view course of course, of course, a decent, reasonable person who's trying to do his best in a complicated situation, and that, that is, and that, that is no one so knows any sweet for you to say. Nobody knows about, but Ted Cruz <laughs> is yes. And so you and I are sitting here. I can't stand what John Cornyn is doing. You're okay with what John Cornyn is doing. I love what Ted Cruz is doing, and you can't stand him. Right. So, so that lends, you know, so that's a great example of, you know, where we start with our own ideology about the way things should be done. I mean, we can, we can agree that this is a cluster. Yes. But. Yes. With, and I've been, and you know, like when you all say that this whole thing we were talking about with the refugees, it was a shock to you all. I've been, you know. Have, but that, but that's, but the, you know, but that's biting my nails and screaming about it for months but now. That's, and that's and that's why I said what I said on the text message. You know, you say you know this has been going on for months. Well, it hasn't been going on with us right. in the bubble right. for months. Right. And this place is in the bubble. I know. That's why I said that I've made a. Uh, what's the word? Because jarring comment that nobody we, cares until we it's in their don't backyard. Pay attention. I know. And we shouldn't be scared. I think it's a beautiful location. So first of all, oh God, <laughs> uh, let me tell you this: the bus system is difficult here in San Antonio. Yeah. But if you can go up and down San Pedro and Blanco, it is a dream come true. Yeah. I have a little uncle who can't read. He had brain damage at birth, and he'll never be able to read. He's seventy-five, and my mom, if my, my parents weren't taking care of him, somebody, you know, we'd be, he'd be at camp. <laughs> anyway, he lives in an apartment. You would be taking care of him. Right, on Blanco. And he goes to the senior center and he rides the bus and it's just the most beautiful location because anytime you can stay within San Pedro and Blanco, well, yeah, you can get I around. that. And so uh, this location, kind of off of San Pedro behind mm -hmm. North Star Mall, um, is, is just transportation-wise the best possible solution. The clients can get to places like Catholic Charities. Like, let's say they don't have the money and way to get there. There is some money to help them fly somewhere. So they could go see a caseworker at Catholic Charities. They mm -hmm. can walk out, and there's the main central bus station. Yeah. They can get back downtown. Yeah. They can go to the airport. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff around it. Yeah, they can I get mean, fast food. So I, you I couldn't pick a better I location. I completely agree with all of that. And we shouldn't be scared that they're there. What do you think they're going to do to you? But that's the thing. And so when I walk up to the corner and I start talking to these people, I had one lady on, because um, I just blasted that video to everybody. Right. And what was so, and, and here, this is what I hate about Facebook. is, And I did this as an experiment. I posted a Harrier Jet video at the same time that I post the, the immigrant pizza party video. Uh -huh. Harrier Jet gets 25 something comments and 50 something likes. Nobody's looking at the other video. Oh, funny. So that's, I think that's a Facebook thing. I think that's a Facebook algorithmic, okay, let's show this, that's already gone viral, she's sharing this, and then, oh, okay. oh this is something of her own, let's not push that. That kind of a thing. I want to see everything as it as it comes up. Me having too. have it be a 
free societal feed of networks. Well, and plus you can not have people, people who say things that, that upset me. Yeah. I just, you know, delete them because I don't yeah. need that kind of tension in my life. Yeah. And I keep the people. That's a yeah, They don't have to all agree with me. Yeah. But they just can't be maniacal. Yeah. And then just I just, be, I hide them. You just can't be nasty. Yeah. All the time. So, I don't follow. So when I have somebody right. use the C word Ooh. on Facebook, no, no, then no. I'm like, no, I'm you get sorry. Blocked. You, you, you can't. Don't, you don't get unfollowed or unfriended. You get blocked <laughs> like for that, that. That's too much that, for That's me. one of the words. So. <laughs> Then on Facebook Messenger, I start sending it out to people. And I had one lady come back, and, and she, her, she says one thing, and she says, either you or, I don't know, I'll, I'll check, but this is aiding in their illegal whatever. Something about being illegal. Well, that's a moot point, because they get here illegally, I'll grant you that. Having to pay a cartel to get across the river and then walk across the river, that's illegal. And then when they get here and you open up their package and you see that they are categorized as someone who has been uh, accused of a crime and then they admit to that crime and then they are paroled. So they are a criminal in, on the United States soil. It's in their packet. They are identified as a criminal. They are on parole, and if they break parole, if they break a law during parole, they get deported. It says that in the packet. Mm -hmm. But my response to her is, how is talking to them aiding them? And, and that's we, my question. And we've said, as much as you can make that technical, we've said we're going to allow you to seek asylum. We have said that. So whether you want to call it parole or a crime, right. that's sort of mincing words. Because we have said in our process that your situation is so dire that you needed to do X and we believe you. Right. And so we're going to allow you to seek asylum. And the only reason we put them on parole and put them in the system is so that if they don't follow our regulations, then they can be arrested and deported. Right. So I wouldn't call that the same as... Um, an illegal alien who just snuck across the border and they're not participating in the system. That's right. a very different category. And that, and, and that is where the conversation just stops because their mindset is they're just trash. They're right. here illegally. They're like roaches crawling around the sidewalk. Right. I, had, I had one lady at a lunch that I was at talking about the homeless problem you know, and I get all up into it. And she says, no, we should just take fire hoses and just wash them off the sidewalk and then have them just go away. That and, kind of shit pisses and me they, off. And it's terrible. And they do look right. terrible. I mean, and, and, and their situation is dire. And I wish we could, you know, when, some, when, when common sense tells me that someone mm -hmm. looks horrible, that they are a danger to themselves. I can tell because mm -hmm. they're so mentally deranged. Right. I wish that we could make it possible to pick someone like that up but we we admire freedom over sanity liberty individual liberty. liberty yes and so that's a that's a yeah a conflict but, but don't but and i, and I want to ask you this and i think this is going to be the question going forward people talk about rights people talk about human rights i talk about god's law god-given rights it's a god-given right to be a free 
person, to have liberty, to have choices. The pursuit of happiness, that needs to go on my, on my tombstone, on my epitaph. It is a privilege to drive a car. Mm -hmm. It's not a right. Well, every, with every right comes responsibility. Exactly. So there are... And as soon as you buck that responsibility, mm -hmm. you get that privilege taken away. That's actually what I would say about the gun laws. I think that we let too many people get away with inappropriate use of guns. We let that man murder that kid across the street from camp. And what I would say, if you want to carry a gun and you shoot somebody, I'm going to tell you probably 50% of the time you might have to pay for that. Because just like if I get in my car and I run somebody over, I'm going to have to pay for that. And it's so hilarious. The fact that we don't. Hilar hilarious or funny that I start with driving a car and you go to guns because that's where I was going. Oh, well, because they're both the same thing. It is. I'm not against you having it, but I, what I would say to you is you should be so stinking scared to own that gun that you hold utter responsibility. You're not walking around with a big rifle in Walmart because that is a dangerous situation. If you need to, I get it, but you most of the time you don't need not, to. Yeah, not on, well, maybe on Austin Highway. I don't know. <laughs> in general, we have police officers and, you know, law of our land. We don't need you, Joe or Mary, to take the law into your own hands. And if you are going to do it, were you, you raised Catholic? scared. Were you raised Catholic? No, my okay. parents are conservative evangelicals. Okay, because you say Joe and Mary a lot. With oh, your okay. Well, I just like to pick normal names. The average, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry. But that, but, um. but, but it is not a right. It, it is, it is a right to protect yourself. And so, sure. so we're, we're kind of getting off the track here, but, sure. but I, I always want to end these conversations with what is a right and what is a privilege absolutely and that privilege is given to you by society not the government yes and furthermore um in ending the conversation whether it's with homeless or with the migrants one of the things i've shared just like my organization cam with one of my friends i said every place has responsibilities and ownership. Do you think we take every person who walks in the door at CAM? No, because we can't. Mm -hmm. We don't have the ability to. Mm -hmm. Not everything is always available to you at every time. And that is just the nature of the world. Yeah. And so um, you can't create laws that are gonna answer and solve every problem but you should at least have a pathway or a passageway that people can follow, and then they have to accept the responsibility and the natural consequences. And don't you think that we've kind of gotten off that track in America? Oh, yeah, I do think we don't take care of natural consequences on both sides. Yeah. I mentioned the gun side, so more of the ultra-conservative side. We've gotten so paranoid that we're going to take somebody's guns away, that we let people do wrong things and we don't want to punish them for mm -hmm. it. That doesn't mean that they weren't intending to not do it right, but we get, I get consequences even when I didn't intend to do it. Yeah. That's life. I could yeah. get fired for something that I didn't intend to do and that could ruin my life, but yeah. that's life. I have to just suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do think we have gotten to the point where um, and that's kind of actually with the homeless when I say that we don't want people just 
out there making up their own things and helping them because we are creating consequences for our clients. We there has to be a way for someone that needs help to plug in and there has to be a way for someone that wants to help to plug in. Yes. And then we can we say... We are so unorganized. I blow up Trish DeBerry's phone with my text rants. It's like, when are we going to get organized? On both sides of any issue. Yes. Now, I will say Trish has never come over here and tried to learn anything about us. She'll and, come. And I did meet her and mention it one time. She'll come. And what I would say to... And I know that the politicians are super busy, as I said, every right. issue. But we're super busy, too. We don't have time to go teach you all, all yeah. the things. Yeah. You know, I mean, you She'll know. come this month. Okay. Well, okay. I, was I was dealing, when Thursday when you texted me or something, yeah. I had um, Univision here, a reporter from Miami. I had a pregnant girl who had been kicked out by her grandparents trying to get some jeans to start a job. This was all at 8 a.m. And 60 migrants outside. <laughs> oh, and like six staff people off. You know, but you know, and you're still smiling. And I, yeah, I'm still smiling. And so then I'm like, and you want me to teach you all? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the hurricane. Yeah. All yeah. day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying to somebody that I no longer like weather in the way I used to. You know, like in the olden days when you liked, I don't know, a little cold weather or some snow, it can seem fun. Now that means that, you know, I'm going to be up at five in the morning. Yeah. I'm going to be trying, trying to help other people figure survive. out what they're going to do. Yeah. yeah. And um, that makes it a little less fun. <laughs> I don't like the snow that. day. <laughs> yeah, we need to think about those things, especially uh -huh. with Ted Cruz going off to Cancun. <laughs> yeah. Bless his heart. All right, now. Thank you so All much. All right, well, thank you. I hope this does teach them, whoever them are. Right. Right? Even like my husband, Shannon, he's conservative, yeah. but he completely understands this migrant thing. He is fully on board with understanding. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want there to be a resolution, that he's not conservative, but this small one that we're dealing with here in our town, he gets. Yeah, yeah.